following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That is far more satisfying when there are people in the room to respond to that um, but I am very excited to be with you this morning that once again inviting me into your home as you guys sit on the couch and gather around the dinner table um, to, to watch this video and hear um, the word of God preached. Now, this is gonna be a Resurrection Sunday to remember. I, I guarantee you that years from now, we're gonna look back at this with our kids, with our grandkids, and, and say, you know, there was one Easter Sunday where literally nobody showed up at church, right? Maybe for the first time in 2,000 years that's ever happened. And so this is strange times we're in, but man, I, I'm excited to preach this morning. Obviously, uh, this setup isn't ideal. I'm pretty sure every week that I've done video preaching, I've expressed my displeasure for this. Um, but the truth still stands. The, the tomb is empty. Jesus has been raised from the dead. He is resurrected. He's seated at the right hand, ruling and reigning. And so that is why we're worshiping. That's why we're gathering together on our, uh, in our homes and, and, and watching this. And so I hope that you would join me and my family as we lift our voices in celebration from home. Um, I hope you make use of those videos that the band recorded this week um, and, and really get your worship on for what Jesus has done. And, and join us as we come to the Word of God to hear from Jesus this morning. So whether Sacred City Church is your home church, um, or if you just happen to be tuning in, let me welcome you to those who are weary and long for rest, to those who mourn and long for comfort, to those who feel helpless and wonder if God cares, to the skeptic who's looking for truth, to the lonely looking for a place to belong, for the, the sinners who need a savior and whoever else will come, this church opens wide her arms and offers her welcome in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So now would you join me as we open up our Bibles to Colossians chapter two. Um, our passage for today is in that second chapter of Colossians verses 11 through 15. And, and actually, why don't you stand with me at home? Stand with me as we read the word of God together. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians chapter two. Verses 11 through 15. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. You pray for me. I'll pray for you. Father, 
We thank you for your word this morning and, and what it points us to, that, that Jesus has overcome sin, death, and the grave, and by your power you have lifted him up and raised him. And God, you are doing that even today in our hearts. You are resurrecting us. And one day we have a lot to look forward to in the new heavens and new earth, but right now would you, would you speak to your people? Would you lead us deeper into your truth and teach us your ways? Would you open up our ears to hear from you and soften our hearts to receive whatever message you'd have? And Father God, would you work supernaturally through this video format and would you stir up your people for good works? God, for hearts that would love you, uh, minds that would think upon you and hands that would serve you in every way you call us to. We pray this, that you would, you would help me to think and to speak clearly and, and do justice to the word of God this morning. We ask this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. On Easter Sunday, there are many churches in our city and far beyond that gather together and preach about the historicity and the plausibility of the resurrection. Like, did this thing happen? Did Jesus actually get crucified, laid in a tomb, and then three days later lifted from the grave? And, and, and I think that's great. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Um, but we are gonna take a different angle this week. Instead of trying to convince you that the resurrection is true, my, my desire, um, and actually there's a lot of great resources if, if you want to be convinced of that reality. What I wanna do today is show you why you want the resurrection to be true. I, I want to show you the significance of Jesus living the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, that he died a sinner's death that you and I deserve to die, and then by the power of God was raised from the dead. Um, so to do that, we've been actually been working through the book of Colossians. We set out at the beginning of the year, working verse by verse, chapter through, by chapter through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the young church in Colossae. Um, and, and it seems as if it's God's providence that he led us to this passage this morning that actually mentions the fact that, that we are raised with Christ. So rather than pause our sermon series and explore the plausibility or the validity of the resurrection, we're just gonna continue on in this series that we've been calling Jesus Over Everything. And, and really this concept, Jesus Over Everything, sums up the main idea of the letter to the Colossians. Um, and, and, it, and it works on two different levels that are equally true. When we say Jesus is over everything, we mean, first of all, he's in power over everything. And secondly, he, he's valued. He, he's got infinite worth and value over everything else in all creation. And so we say Jesus is supreme in power. Right? He, he created the world, he sustains the world, he holds it together, he, he is redeeming all things, he is in power and control of every single thing in this world, including the coronavirus, that that's not beyond the scope of Jesus' power. That Jesus is then supreme in worth and value. Last week we explored this concept, Jesus plus nothing equals everything that, that captures that Jesus is the fullness of God, which means that Jesus is the ultimate expression of love and joy and peace and goodness and beauty, that Jesus is our treasure, that there's nothing more precious or valuable than him. Thus, Jesus, because Jesus is infinite in value and worth, Jesus is the only one who can truly satisfy us in the most pro profound ways. That, that Jesus is the only one who can fill us up in every conceivable way. 
And today, as we come to chapter two, verses 11 through 15, Paul shows us how Jesus satisfies us in perhaps one of the most profound ways that that we need to be filled up. And and that's in the sense of belonging. At, At first glance, as I was reading this passage, you might be thinking to yourself, now this doesn't seem like a passage about belonging, right? We get distracted, you know, you throw the word circumcision out there and you tend to get a little bit shooken up by it. But let me assure you, Um, that this passage, at the heart of this passage, is this concept, this idea of belonging. And not only is it at the heart of this passage, this desire for human uh, belonging, desire for belonging is at the heart of our human experience. Every single human is hardwired to want to belong. There's an inextricable craving that every single person who's breathing has. And, and we're looking for this external confirmation that we're accepted, that we're valued, that we belong, that we're included. And, and this has been at play since the moment you were born. Right, the first year, there, uh, there's scientific studies that, that circle around this concept. The first year of a child's life th- is spent looking for a face to connect to. They're looking for mom or dad, somebody who, who expresses care and concern, who enters into that world and connects and, and gives them this sense of belonging. In fact, there's been a lot of studies showing that, that kids who don't get that in the first year, that their lifespan, you know, their life from that point on is, is, is impaired in some sense. But it doesn't just stop after that first year. It, this desire, this craving for belonging extends into our whole life. We're, we're living our lives trying to satisfy this hunger we have for belonging. This is why we join clubs and go to certain gyms. It's why well, we go to certain schools and join certain fr- uh, fraternities or sororities. It's why we live in certain neighborhoods. It's why we wear certain clothes. We're, we're looking for that place to fit in. We're looking for our place in that world. And, and through these means, we, we are able to fill this desire in some sense. And when these desires for belonging go unmet, it hurts. It hurts so bad. It, it, when we, and I'm sure you can relate to this. I know I certainly can. If you've been rejected, right, the, the pain of rejection, of being dismissed, told that, oh, you don't belong here, right, that hurts in deep, profound ways. Or, or even maybe in the sense of loneliness. Maybe right now, more than any other time in our life, people are experiencing loneliness as we're in social isolation. This pandemic is exposing our longing to belong. And while we can get a sense of belonging from some places, right, like, like at the gym or school or at work, this, these places or these things that offer that sense of belonging don't totally satisfy. For example, I grew up I grew up in a loving home. There was not one moment of my life where I ever doubted my belongingness to my family, right? Mom and dad loved me. Brothers, you know, I think they loved me. Uh, but, but I had that sense growing up that, that I, was, I was set in the reality that I belonged somewhere, but that didn't alter the fact that throughout my whole life, I've been searching, I've been longing and, and pursuing different places where I'm attempting to fit in, where I'm trying to find places where I belong. And I, and I, I may not know you personally, 
but I know the same is true of you in certain ways. And that's because our ultimate desire in life is to belong to God. That's what we were made for. We were made to be accepted and embraced and and affirmed by him as sons and daughters of our heavenly father. In fact, this is the only thing, that the, the approval, the acceptance, the embrace of the Father uh, is the only thing that can satisfy this profound and deep longing that we have to belong. And so this raises the question, do I belong to God? And if I do, how do I know that? What, what, what's the basis of my acceptance? And in, and in what ways Is that gonna satisfy that deep longing I have? Well, here in Colossians chapter two, Paul answers some of these most profound existential questions. Now, as we talk about belonging, regardless of context, there is always criteria for belonging. There's there's always something that you have to do in order to gain entry into a certain group. And and we do all kinds of things to earn and achieve our our acceptance. When I was in college, I was studying uh, music at the University of uh, Northern Iowa. I almost forgot what school that was. University of Northern Iowa. And and at one point, I wanted to uh, join this music fraternity that was there. And and to do that, you had to jump through all kinds of hoops. Now, nothing was, it wasn't hazing, it wasn't anything crazy, but I just remember writing papers, having to do some sort of presentation, having to do, you know, all kinds of hoops that you had to jump through in order to be accepted into the group. And, and whether it's jumping through hoops or developing uh, an image that you have this certain look um, that you're trying to achieve or, or trying to curate a, a certain interest to fit in um, or, or prove our ability that we're capable of doing something, and so we can join this elite group of people, there are always barriers to belonging. And in order to to reach that sense of belonging, we have to overcome or or get past those barriers. Um, A couple of winters ago, my wife and I had this opportunity to go down to South Carolina for a wedding. And uh, I'd never been to that part of the country before. Absolutely beautiful. I love it down there. Um, and, and to make it even better, this wedding was taking place at, at a resort, um, kind of tucked away off the coast. Absolutely beautiful, like luxurious in every way. Architecture was beautiful. The landscaping was immaculate. Everything from customer, it's just unbelievable. Um, and, and maybe the best word that can sum it up is bougie. This place is bougie. Like, this is where lawyers and doctors and celebrities come to vacation, right? In fact, Justin Bieber got married at this place. Um, and, and so as I was, you know, filling up space on, on, on this facility, it was very clear that I was a visitor here. Like, I, I didn't necessarily belong to this lifestyle. I didn't necessarily fit in. I didn't have the right clothes. I didn't have those designer clothes or shoes. I wasn't wearing a Rolex. I didn't roll up in a luxury car. In fact, the, the rental car that I rolled up in, uh, which is nicer than the car that I own, paled in comparison to the Bentleys and the Mercedes and the Cadillacs that were all lined up in front of this place. Absolutely insane. And and in that moment, I realized, like, I didn't belong here. And one of the indicators was the external markers that would suggest that I belonged here, right? The, The clothes, the look, the image. Now, in the Old Testament, the external marker that indicated you belonged to God was circumcision, right? It might be kind of weird. Um, It's external yet 
kind of private, but, but this was a sign and the seal of the covenant that God made with Abraham way, 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 way back. That, that this promise was, God said to Abraham, I will be your God and you will be my people. So there, there was a sense of belonging. God's saying to Abraham and his descendants that you belong to me and this mark, this circumcision, is how people will know that you belong to me. And so on the eighth day of a, of a baby boy's life, he would be circumcised. Um, and, and anybody who would make their way into be, being part of the Jewish faith or, or being part of, of uh, Israel would be circumcised whether or not they were nationally um, an Israelite or not. So, so anybody who would say, okay, God, Yahweh is my God, and I know I am his people. Here's the marker of circumcision. So it was very clear in a sense. It was kind of awkward, right, I, you know, very awkward, but also very clear to know if you belonged to God. And the problem that was going on here in Colossae, as Paul is writing to the church, is that there are Judaizers, people who are coming from a Jewish background, who, have, who are uh, of, of Jewish descent, who are saying, listen, in order to be accepted of God, not only do you need to believe the gospel, but also do you need to be circumcised. And so they were insisting that, that applying this external marker of circumcision was necessary in order to validate your status as belonging to God. So in a sense, right, do you belong to God, right? Prove it, you know, that, that's kind of awkward, right? Drop your drawers, I don't know. I don't know exactly how that works out. But, but that was definitely the problem in the context in Colossae. Now, that's not necessarily going on here, Sacred City Moline, in the year 2020, right? No, nobody's standing out in the entryway asking, you know, while you get your cup of coffee, uh, so you, you circumcised or what? No, nobody is asking that, but... There is a sense where we are looking for other external markers that you belong to God, right? We, we, might, we might find that in what Bible translation you use, um, what denomination of church you grew up in or, or what you affiliated with, um, what kind of decals you have stuck to your car, right? You got the Jesus fish on your car, or even better, do you have it tattooed on you, uh, you know, what kind of tattoos are you sporting? You got that Jesus ink wrapped somewhere. What kind of lingo do you use? Do you use Christianese? You, you talk like, you know, I won't go there. That's another story. But you, you use lingo. Or, or what about your social media profile, right? In the bio, uh, uh, d does it say that you're a Christian? Does it say that you're a beloved child of God? What, what's that say? Or, or, or even the, the social media output for every two, you know, normal life post, you got one that shows you, you know, reading your Bible or, or worshiping with the church. Like that, those are some of the markers that we might be looking for. Like, does this person belong to, or, or what about your Spotify playlist? You got enough like Michael W. Smith sprinkled into that, that playlist to prove that you really love Jesus. I don't know. Those are some of the, the markers that we might be looking for. A very common um, and, and whenever there are physical or external indicators, they, they function as a barrier. They, they function as a, a marker of if you actually belong here, which, you know, in some sense, it's not all bad. I'm not saying, like, you know, having that tattoo. I've got tattoos on me that are Jesus ink, and, and I got certain things that I like to listen to that, you know, I'm not saying it's bad, but, but there's a sense where people might step in, a, in the room of a church and see all of this, like, unique, phenomenon happening as far as what's going on and what people look like and how people talk and what they do. And they, they take a look in on this and say, listen, I, I don't do that. 
I, I'm not like that. I know I love Jesus, but I must not fit in here unless I can conform to this, this brand of Christianity or take on these external markers that are represented. But here's the thing. As these external markers might indicate we belong, um, and, and if, if, we, if we have them or if we don't, especially if we don't have them, that might be troubling. But, but what's even more troubling are the hidden indicators, the, the stuff that is going on below the surface. In fact, I, I think that I could step into any church, and many people do this, step into any church and fake it until they make it. Right? They, they, they get the look, they, get the, they achieve the image, but internally there's still something that, that makes them feel out of place. Right? They see people with their hands raised in worship and like, oh, these people must really love Jesus enough to lift their arms you know, three feet. They, they must really be into Jesus. And so that's not me. You know, and so they, they take a step back. But like anybody can lift up their arms. Anybody can give the external impression. But, but, but what is really crucial are these internal indicators um, it's, it's these invisible credentials that prove I belong. And if you're, if you're just doing the external visual stuff and you don't have that internal credential, then, then you're gonna live, you're gonna feel like an imposter. You're, you're living some sort of a, a, a lie. And so I think it's easy for us to feel this. Like we hear people being spiritual and talking about how much they love Jesus and how intimate their relationship with him is. And here we feel, or, or you might be feeling, Man, I, I, don't, I don't belong here. Like, and part of that is when we feel that with God, we might feel like I've got the look, but internally things don't line up. Things don't feel the way they should be because there's something internally that's disqualifying us from having that sense of belonging. And Paul uh, touches on this in, in chapter 13, or in verse 13 of chapter two. He says, and you who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. He, he's saying something like, listen, you were dead in your sin, you were uncircumcised in the flesh. So he's saying there's, there's both external and internal indicators that, that you don't necessarily belong. And, and what he's pointing to is the reality of sin. That sin is what gets in the way, the big barrier internally which corrupts the condition of our heart and gives us this insular focus upon ourselves which disqualifies us from belonging to God. In fact, this is the biggest barrier that exists for us as humans between uh, belonging to God is the reality of our sin, that there's no way a holy and pure and perfect God is compatible with sinners like us as we are. Right, as we stand, there's something wrong. There's something broken in us. And, and I think a lot of us feel that. Like, w- that's why we feel guilt and feel shame. There's, there's something wrong. There's something broken in me. Like, how could God possibly want me? And until we belong to God, until we find our belonging in him, our longing to belong will never be satisfied. St. Augustine said that, that our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O oh God. And so what do we try to do? Like we, we try to earn our belonging. This, this is the essence of religion, right? Try to be a better person. Heap up your good works. Work really hard at, at changing, turning your life around in order to get God's approval. And if that doesn't work, just hide your sin, right? Live a double life. Do, do, do godly things on Sunday mornings and when you get with your Mr. Community, but, but you know, any other time you can have this sort of double life. 
And so we try to earn our belonging. And, and we can, listen, you can never earn your belonging. The sin that is in you is profoundly connected to you. That only with the most uh, thorough solution can it be removed from you. So, so you can work as hard as you want. You, you're still going to be sinning. You're still gonna be sinning in, in constantly even. These barriers exist and it's impossible to move past on your own and so what we might do if we come to that realization is like well we, we try to fill up on acceptance from others we say you know I don't need God's acceptance I, I don't need to belong to God because I got I got my buddies at the gym you know I, I've got I've got some of my high school or college friends that we've been through thick and thin together I, I feel acceptance from them or maybe it's your spouse or your boss right you're you're looking to other places to find this acceptance and belonging but there's a problem with this. There's a problem with earning your way to belonging. And the problem with this is that if you can earn it, you can lose it. Because eventually, if you can go from not fitting in to working yourself to fitting in, the inverse can be true where you can fit in for a while and then lose favor. Right? There might be a time where you no longer fit the mold. You no longer share the common ideas of everybody. You never have a, no longer have the look or your, your credentials become invalid. Think about it at work. You can spend years and years and years working your way up through the ladder. Right? Trying to get into the inner circle. Trying to, to get to the point of, of power and getting some sort of affirmation from your work. And then, then all of a sudden, like that, you get laid off. You lose your job, you get fired, and you lose that acceptance. You lose that sense of belonging. See, the problem with earned belonging is that it's always contingent upon continued success. So once you achieve the status of belonging, you have to maintain it forever and ever and ever and ever, and down, it's just downright exhausting. You'll get burned out, you'll get frustrated, you'll get resentful, but... If belonging comes to us as a gift, right? If, if, if belonging is offered to us freely as a gift, you cannot lose it. Because in the sense that it's gifted, it's secure. Think, think of the gift that it is for parents, right? You might have the biggest screw-up kid in the world. Go to jail, face tattoos, the whole nine yards. Uh, I'm just kidding. If somebody's got a face tattoo, I'm not joking. I'm, it's like, you know, my kid wants a face tattoo. Um, but your kid can be a big screw-up. You know, all kinds of trouble, all kinds of stupid stuff, but, but a parent loves their kid no matter what, right? That, that's a huge gift for parents. And, and I would say that, like, maybe that's the beginning of being a good parent. Can you, can you be upset and, and frustrated with your kid? They did something wrong. You've got to discipline them. And then at the end of it, right, you, you look them in the face and say, I still love you. You're my kid. I, I wouldn't trade you for anything in the world, right? That's such a huge gift, and that gift says that no matter what you do, you belong. There's nothing you can do to lose this sense of belonging. And that's exactly what we get in the gift of Jesus. That, that Jesus actually tears down all the barriers for us to belong, the internal and the external, and he embraces us and accepts us just as we are, and he loves us to our best. This is what verse 11 says. It says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. 
So here, Paul is saying, the Judaizers are saying, hey, you gotta, be, you gotta literally be circumcised. But Paul's saying, listen, in Christ, you have already been circumcised. That, that Jesus' circumcision counts as your circumcision. That if your faith is in him, you're united with him in such a profound way with what he has is now yours and what is yours is now his. And now Paul's not talking about this in a literal sense, like now somehow magically by a snap of the fingers, you physically become circumcised. He's speaking about something, this circumcision in spiritual terms, right? And you see this when he says, it's a circumcision not done by the work of hands. He's speaking of a a heart condition, right? That your heart has been circumcised, that there's been this removal of sin, of fleshly desire from our hearts. Now that, in the Old Testament, that's what the physical expression of circumcision was meant to point to the whole time. This internal reality, it's an external expression of what has already happened internally, that our hearts have been changed by Jesus. And in this, when he says that you've been circumcised in Christ, he's not talking about the the circumcision that Jesus experienced and underwent as an infant when he was eight eight days old. He's speaking about the circumcision of the cross. it's It's a play on words here. Paul is talking about, he's, he's making, drawing this, this, drawing the similarities between circumcision and the cross where Jesus' flesh was torn apart on the cross. That, that the whip that was wound and drug over his back and, and, the, and the whips and, and all of the things, the beatings and all of the things that Jesus experienced in the last days of his life leading up to Good Friday, his flesh, his body was being torn apart. And, and on the cross, he felt the separation from God, right? Just as a foreskin is removed from the body, Jesus was separated from God. And in verse 14, he tells us that, that at the cross, our internal problems, the barriers internally, like our sin problem, the cross deals with that issue. Our record of debt was canceled, is what he says in verse verse. 14, he says, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Now what he's talking about here, this, this record of debt, it's like a spiritual IOU, right? For every time we sin, it's like giving God an IOU. Yeah, I messed up, I, I'm withdrawing. My bank account of morality has run dry, you know, and so the, here I am, I'm giving you an IOU. I, I'm, I've depleted all of my resources, And so here at the cross, we're told that that this record of debt that stands against us is canceled. That Jesus paid for all of our past, present, and future sins right there on the cross. And so in Christ, now it's like you've got a free and clear title. There's no, no lien, there's no loan against your life. All of the internal barriers have been torn down. All of the things that prevented you from belonging to God, specifically sin, has been removed from you, paid for. In fact, this is why when Jesus was on the cross, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. The curtain guarded the holy of holies in the temple. Right? That's where the presence of God dwelt. And now here Jesus gets nailed to the cross, he gives up his life, and the curtain in, is torn in two. Right, The presence of God moves into the world and now we have this access. Now we belong to God because of the cross. And the significance of the resurrection is that it proves that Jesus' death worked to pay off the debt. 
right? The, the, the payment of Jesus' own life was validated. The check cleared. And, and this is really important for us. Like, a Christianity without the resurrection is no Christianity at all. Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that if there's no resurrection, that Christians are to be pitied above all because the, the, the whole entirety of Christianity hinges upon the validity of the resurrection, If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we are still dead in our sins. That there's still something to be paid to God. But because Jesus was sufficient to pay our sin, to pay off the, the, the debt that we owe to God and atone for the wrath of our sin, Jesus was raised. He was vindicated by the power of God. Right, so now... Our spiritual bank account is, has a surplus. It is all of the abundance of Christ. All of the treasures and the riches of Jesus are now at our fingertips. And I think this is great news. This is great news. There, there's no better news than this, right? And now the reality, because Jesus was pushed out, because Jesus was forsaken by the Father, we are now embraced and we tend to forget how little credit we can take for this, right? I, I think it, it's a shame. Like, they're, they're Christians that walk around with a swagger. They get this, their, their nose up in the air like they've figured out all of life's problems and they've, they've pulled themselves out of the pits of hell. But the reality is we can take zero credit for this work. It's not our work at all. Verse 13 says that we were dead in our sins. Dead people can't do anything. Like, people are six feet under and, and they don't have a job. They don't have any responsibilities. They, they can't get themselves out of their coffin. But verse 12 tells us that it was because of the powerful working of God. Right? It, it's, it's completely and entirely based on God's work. Therefore, our belonging isn't contingent upon our ability. It's not based upon our activity to make ourselves better people and then God loves us. Our, our belonging completely rides on what Jesus has done on the cross and the fact that he was raised from the dead. And so this means that no matter where you are in life, no matter what condition your soul is in, no matter how large the debt is that you owe God and all of the sins that you've ever committed, you can belong to God right now. See, God doesn't say change, get your life together, right? Pull yourself up by the bootstraps, right? And then I'll see if you belong, right? Then I'll see if, I'll, if you fit in. No, God looks at Jesus and he says, because of his beloved son's work on the cross, that he accepts any and everyone who would put their faith in him exactly where you are. See, Jesus is the gift. It's the gift that God gives us. And the only way that we can lay hold of that gift, verse 12 says this, is through faith. Like that's the only way you can access this, this sense of belonging, the only way that your soul can be satisfied. And no matter who might dismiss you, no matter who might reject you in your life or whoever, what group you don't fit into, because you have God's acceptance, you are secure. That, that you won't get, you, your life won't be tanked you know, if, you, if somebody breaks up with you. Like you, you won't be tanked if you lose your job because you have your belonging that you need in God and it's secure in Christ, completely in his work. And we exercise faith. Well, first of all, this reality, this gift, 
we access it through faith, but even faith itself is a gift from God. This is, this is a gift from God that we get to exercise our faith. And so exercising our faith looks like trusting that Jesus is the basis of our acceptance and belonging. Right? It, it looks like believing that Jesus was rejected on the cross so that now I could belong. And in that, my soul is content and satisfied, that I don't have to prove myself. Right? That, that's so much of belonging is trying to prove yourself, prove that you've earned your spot but Jesus has earned that spot for us and he gives it to us. So this means that I don't have to hide my sin. I don't have to conceal it. I don't have to downplay how messy I am. I don't have to pretend like I'm a, some super spiritual person. I can be real. Like, because there's nothing about me. There's nothing about you that surprises God. Like, you're, you're not pulling a fast one on him when you get saved, right? Like, God knows all of your weaknesses, all of your vulnerabilities, all of your imperfections. And so there's a joy in confessing our sins. And he offers us forgiveness. That's what we're told in this passage. He, he forgives the record of debt that stood against us. He nailed it to the cross. And now that we belong to Jesus, Paul says the way that we associate, to Je associate with Jesus is in baptism. There are, there are two sacraments or signs and seals that we belong to Jesus. Uh, the first one is baptism, and the second one is, is the Lord's Supper, right? We practice this when we, as often as we get together. So baptism is, is like the way that we enter into membership of the church, the way that we know that we belong to the saved and, and ransomed people of God. It's a sign and seal that our sins were crucified and buried with him. Right, and so baptism signifies as we go down in the water, we are buried with him, right? This is, this is the union we have with Christ so much so, it's so profound that, that our lives are wrapped up in his life. So as we go down in the water, we are buried with Christ. And as we are lifted from the water, we are raised with him. Now it doesn't, it's not the water that has any sort of magic fairy dust in it or anything that does that. This, this baptism is an external um, marker of something that's already happened internally. And so we step into this act of obedience. It's not something that we have to do to be accepted. It's something we do because we already belong. That God's already given us faith. That he's already has given us the, the gift of Jesus. And so we, this act, external act of obedience, we step into it to represent what's already happened in our life. And with this, our baptism indicates that we are now under a new authority. That's what I mean. To be in Christ is, is recognizing that Jesus is in power and over and above everything. That we are no longer, no longer slaves to our sins. We're no longer slaves to the old way of trying to prove ourselves and get our spot in life. So we have this freedom that we know that we've been accepted in Christ. And, and fi verse 15 says, says this. That Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. See, the things that once controlled us, sin, our flesh, right? The fleshly desires and lusts that we have in this world, right? The, the power of sin and death and Satan, the things that once controlled us now have been disarmed. Right? The, the resurrection is God flexing over the enemy. He's proving that he has triumphed over sin, death, and the grave. That, that there are no 
adversaries to God, all of them have been neutered and they, they have no more power and they stand condemned and shamed and they're on their way out. That there will be a day where Jesus completely removes, he takes out the trash and all of the remaining sin and darkness and evil that's in this world will be kicked out. See, this is the, what the resurrection proves, that Jesus won, that, that these powers no longer have any claim over us. And, and the more we experience the reality of our belonging, the more we experience the truth of that freedom. Right, the more that we get it down deep in our souls that I belong to God, I don't have to prove myself, the more I get to enjoy not being controlled by my desire to prove myself. And one day, all sin, all death, all sickness, all sadness will be removed from this earth. It'll be purged forever. And resurrection life in its fullness will take place. Now, all, all that, all that would, will be left is Jesus and his people, right? Gloriously reunited in the new heavens, new earth. That, that the promise of Abraham, that, that he will be our God and we will be his people, will be fulfilled. And there'll be nothing that can stand in the way, nothing that can separate us from that reality. And until that day, like that, that resurrection life is, has begun already. If your faith is in Jesus, right? Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. Until that day where it'll be in its fullness, we have this resurrection life now. Right? We, we know that right now we have certainty that we belong because the tomb is empty. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside every believer who trusts and puts their faith in Jesus. See, this is the union. We see this over and over and over in these few verses that we've been looking at in chapter two. Paul keeps saying we're with him, we're in him, we're united to him. This is what we have right now. So in one sense, you're sitting at home on your couch, you're watching this video, right? Your, your, your feet are planted somewhere in the Quad Cities or, or beyond. I don't know where you are in the world. Maybe this reaches beyond. So if you're a Christian, yeah, you're, you're where you are physically, but there's another sense where you are already with Christ. You're with him in the heavenly places. You've been united to him in such a profound way where in your baptism you share in, being his, in his burial and in his resurrection and being lifted from the water. So Christian, Remember your baptism. Remember this external marker points to something internal that God has already done inside of you by his power. He has embraced you. He's brought you into his family. He's given you all the acceptance and satisfied the deepest longings that you have to belong. And if you're not yet a Christian, Jesus is inviting you to receive this gift of belonging today right where you are. And, and if, if you're not quite ready to receive that gift, listen, I, I wanna invite you to be part of the church, the people of God who get to experience what it's like to belong to God. Come, come get a taste of what it's like because the church offers a foretaste. It's not the fullness of it, but it gives you a, a, a hint of the sweetness of what it's like to be loved at your worst, to be accepted at your worst, and then loved and changed to your best. Now, and when you step foot in the church, what you see is, man, the, the church is just full of misfits. The church is not full of perfect, hyper-spiritual, you know, people who've really deserved their spot in line, you know, to, to, to get God's embrace. The church is full of people who are unqualified. And by the grace of God, God sets his love upon us and he shows us his love 
in Christ. And so know that you are loved, you're accepted, and in Christ you belong. Father, we thank you for this reality, this good news, that the grave, the tomb is empty. There's nothing that we can do to add to what Jesus has done for us. And so with, with hearts full of trust, we receive this gift. I pray, Father, that you would shape your people profoundly in the reality that we belong because of Christ, that we are in him, that we are united to him, that we have him. God, would you use this reality to, to change our lives, to turn us, to change us from the inside out, that more and more we might reflect your glory in, in the watching world. We thank you for everything in Christ. He is our treasure. We pray this in his beautiful name. Amen. Thank you.